Nick Kroll, my friend, welcome to Exit Strategy. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's really meaningful to me. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's meaningful for me as well. Today, you're one of the most sought after creators, writers, producers, and actors in film and television. You're really known for many things in addition to Big Mouth and Little Big Boy, both on Netflix Mm -hmm. and Oh Hello on Broadway, The Kroll Show on Comedy Central, and History of the World Part 2 on Hulu. There's a lot more else I could say about you, but I do have to say what's really important is that 21 years ago, I met you on the lower level of Grand Central Terminal. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. important. (laughs) So I'm really happy you're on Exit Strategy. And what I've told you about the podcast is that we do a deep dive into end-of-life issues from the serious to the whimsical, and you fit in there somewhere. But what (laughs) I have to ask you is, can death be funny and you of all people are the perfect person to ask so what do you think can death be funny oh yeah i think it has to be i think how many of us have been to a funeral where there wasn't at least one speech or or where where people didn't laugh life is funny and so then death has to be funny too because it's a continuation of life i mean death is so hard, but I I think the only way through these incredibly tough, incredibly challenging times in life is, is with humor. I know that most of the funerals I've been to or, or memorials or shivas obviously are filled with such deep sadness and loss, but I've almost never been to a single one of those events without a couple of funny stories or, or laughs. And I think it's an important way for us to figure out how to cope and, and deal with this incredible loss uh, or, or sadness. And how often do we say the person who died would want me to be living and laughing and having a good time? Absolutely. I remember you told me recently, and I want to talk about your first experience with death, and it was with your grandfather. You were six, I believe you said. What did you remember about that moment? My father's father, Herman Kroll, died, and I felt always very close to him, even in that short span of time. But, you know, when you're six, you only have so many memories and so many people that you remember, and and he definitely was an important person inside of that for me, uh, those first six years. And I, I just have a memory of hearing about it and sitting on, on the lawn and trying to process it and, and talking to my dad and my father trying to help me process it. But I think even then realizing that he was himself trying to process it, you know, the, the idea that Mm -hmm. the strongest people in your life, let alone pass away, but have to deal with grief themselves. So the idea that I was six and was looking at my dad and be like, oh, he just lost his father. This must be incredibly hard for him. I was mm. such an empathetic six-year-old. Um, <laughs> but, that uh, sounds a little mature. It really does. I yeah. don't know. You know, we all tell our stories, Stephanie. I do have that memory. And I remember when he lost his mother, my grandma Flo, many years later, probably like 12 years after that, and saying to him quite insensitively that he was now an orphan. I've heard that a lot from adults. My mom is still alive and she's almost 98. And I've thought about the fact that when she dies, I'm going to be an orphan. So I hear that expression a lot. 
Yeah. It sort of speaks to the idea that whether you're in, in your 60s and 70s or you're six or seven, the idea of losing both of your parents is still somehow the concept of being an orphan is still a, is, is a real thing. He, he was my first grandfather to pass away. And, and we just lost my grandmother two years ago, almost to the day. And, you know, again, it's and that was all through COVID. And I had a number of, of funerals and memorials through COVID in our family, which was I think a lot of people left in, in those, these last few years. And, and it was the first time I had to do, a, we did a lot of them over Zoom, which again was such a weird thing, but also there was something in an odd way kind of beautiful in that I, I probably attended some memorials and funerals that I would not have attended, you know, being in sure. LA and it wouldn't be thought of. So that was, <laughs> I don't know if I'm <laughs> trying to find the bright spot of a uh, Zoom funeral. <laughs> but there was, it's true. People yeah. attended these funerals and shivas from all over the world when, as you just said, they normally wouldn't be able to. So it did provide okay. a bit of comfort in those worlds. You just talked about your dad when he was somewhat of a young father and his parent passed away and here you were six years old. And now that you're a dad, do you think about mortality in a different way? I had my first child at 42. So I do think about how old mm -hmm. I will be at the various markers of their life in a weird way. I'm like, all right, well, when he's 42, I'll be 84. I'll, I think I'll still be <laughs> hanging out. Hopefully he'll have figured out a few more things than I had and he'll have put together right. a family or whatever it is he wants to do. And I'll still be in <laughs> functional shape, hopefully. Right. <laughs> vertical, vertical, we're hoping. 42 years from now, what is that? That's 20, 20, 2047? No, 2067? Mm. Yep. Yeah. 2065? So right. 84 will be 36. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm scared to think of that, but yes, you're right. There will be mass flooding. The world will be completely ablaze. But, but other than that, you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Yeah, be great. But it's an interesting question. I'm constantly thinking about my child's mortality. But when you have a child, there's a responsibility to that life that is on such a different level of fear and, and, and feeling of responsibility to keep, <laughs> keep this person alive. I want to ask you about an episode on The Kroll Show that you did about a friend who died. And I looked at it recently online. If I remember correctly, it, it ended up being a game show. And then he came back to life. And it was pretty funny. It was so interesting to look at. Was that the only time you've really talked about death in your work? I think there's an episode of Big Mouth where Andrew, uh, voiced by John Mulaney, Andrew's grandfather dies. It's at a funeral home. It, it goes in a very different direction than anything, hopefully, that's happened in your I mean, it's so crazy. But this is, I think, how <laughs> we try to make death funny, which is... <laughs> Andrew is this, you know, for hopefully the majority of your listeners who do not watch Big Mouth, uh, it's a show about <laughs> kids going through puberty based on me and my friend Andrew Goldberg, uh, our experience growing up. I was a very late bloomer and Andrew's a very early bloomer. It's him grappling with the loss of his grandfather and, and the feeling of guilt that he had with him and trying to figure out how to deal with it. So I think especially when you're that age, you're dealing with a lot of different versions of what death is, especially we really wanted to tackle that for what is it like for a 13 year old boy to lose a grandfather. 
and 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 I believe it was also tied to sort of magical thinking. I if I do this, then good things will happen. But if I don't do this, I do this instead. Something bad could happen. And in this case, his grandfather died, and so then he felt a tremendous sense of guilt that he mm -hmm. was somehow responsible for his grandfather's passing because he had done something that really, frankly, was was around like OCD. An interesting thing about death is frankly how narcissistic it ends up being for so many, which is it becomes about someone's passing really becomes about yourself and how you are dealing with it. Understandably, because, you know, we're all, yeah. uh, you know, living our own lives. But in this case, he, he felt this boy felt responsible for his grandfather's passing. We do a lot of educational programs and we mm -hmm. teach 13 year olds and talk to them all about taking the mystery out of death. Nobody has more questions than the 13-year-olds. They, they've got a lot to say, and it's remarkable. And what's the number one question they have? How do you know for sure if you're dead? Have oh, you wow. ever seen anybody come back to life? Number one question. Wow. Yes, in regards to that, you brought up with Kroll Show. Again, I, I confuse a lot of the things that I've made, but in this case, there is a woman who passes away who turns out to be alive, and it's all sort of like about the game. There was a movie, a Michael Douglas, uh, Sean Penn movie called The Game, where it was all this elaborate ruse to bring someone to the brink. And so I believe that's what happened on Kroll Show. Um, and mm -hmm. in this case, it was proof that someone hadn't died. They were alive. But it is a good question. I think that's what so much of the formation of society is built around like what happens when we die what are we really dead does our soul go on do we live on or or are we completely i mean so much of literally so much of human existence is structured around that question recently i read an article in the new york times entitled that's the funny thing about grief i'm sure you read it it's all about this new generation of stand-up comedians and how they're really talking about heartbreaking loss of a loved one for material and to process. What's your take on that? Because I don't know if it makes people laugh or feel uncomfortable or they like it because they can empathize with the material. What's your thought on that? Great art to me, whether it's stand up or a film or a book or a, something visual or a play is personal. What could be more personal than loss and grief? So, and if you can make, as we said, if you can make death funny, or if you can make grief funny, what a magic trick to pull off. And so it makes sense that people would mine their own grief for material. The easiest person to sort of talk about in a lot of cases is, is yourself. It's safe to talk about yourself and your loss and your experience because nobody can question it. I do think that with my own comedy, I found the easiest thing to do is to talk about my own experience. People are looking for meaning and, and stakes, and, and nothing has more stakes than grief and loss. Talk to me for a second about the pilot you wrote with Michael Tolkien around death. I want to know where that came from. Are you thinking about pursuing it? I wrote a pilot, it's now a number of years ago, with Michael Tolkien, who has written many, many things for film and television. This is probably like six-ish years ago. We wrote a pilot for Amazon. It was about a doctor who finds his calling in end-of-life treatment. And we, at that point, had set it in, in New Hampshire. The show was really, a, you know, 
a case of the week would have been if it got made, a, but the case being someone who's deciding to end their life and how, and again, this was an, a long enough ago where a few states had legalized some version of it. It is still obviously is a very tricky subject and federally and on a state level, not surprisingly, there's not a consensus about how to, uh, obviously right. in other countries around the world and uh, in a lot of European and Northern European countries where I think they've really embraced it. I think people just still have Kevorkian in their head as like, but obviously there, there's an industry around it, probably good end and calling it the end of life industry feels a little strange, but I have some friends who are, you know, death doulas who are there to help. And in, in, as I'm sure you have talked about and dealt with here on the show and in, and in life. And yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing. And there've been, since then I've, I've heard about one or two other projects that have, have tried to figure it out. You know, nothing was done with the show. It didn't get made. We wrote the pilot. Um, it was a good experience both professionally and, and working with someone such an incredible writer like Michael, but also really trying to think about that, think about how it would affect me, the morality of it legally for me of going into your will and figuring out what your DNRs and all that kind of stuff is. And, and I think it's since then has evolved. I think probably many more states have loosened their regulation on it. Or There are about a half a dozen states and actually New York State right now is in conversation about it as well, because it's something we all need to look at. And yet uh, here we are watching people at the end of life suffer. So, well, I hope you do something with that. And who knows, maybe it will come back to life in in another phase. You never know. How about that, huh, Nick? How about that? I love it. I really want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. You mentioned all my credits and things, which are lovely. And but when I met you was 21 years ago in the in the basement of the Grand Central, <laughs> literally starting at the bottom. I was just graduating college and knew I wanted to get into entertainment, was interested in acting. And my mom said, there's this woman, Stephanie Gary, she's wonderful, but she's also an actress and she works all the time and maybe she could give you some advice. And so I sat down with you and you very kindly agreed to introduce me to your agent, Atlas Talent. I met with them and signed with them and they sent me out for a lot of commercial and voiceover work. And, and I started almost, you know, within a year, I started to make a living doing acting through commercials and, and which sort of set me on my way. So, so I'm really, truly grateful to everything you did for me and grateful to you for having me on this podcast and doing what you're doing at Plaza. What a gift and what a talk about industry to make it non-industry and make it not something that as opposed to making end of life a a massive money making endeavor, that it's just a place to allow people to say goodbye and grieve and and move through this incredibly difficult stage of life. Thank you, Nick. And, And I appreciate the kind words and you earned every moment of your success. But having said that, you're so right. We're honored here at Plaza to make this about really a a sacred journey and it's part of our life cycle and we need to acknowledge that so thank you as well my pleasure as the host of exit strategy i thank you for tuning in to what i hope was an informative and illuminating conversation about this end-of-life issue I urge you to visit our show notes and there's an email listed there. So if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested 
and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you listen to your podcasts each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic. And I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.